welcome to episode 619 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Hey, Josh, you know what I was thinking? Hmm. We should do this more often. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, it has been so long and it feels like even longer. Richard and I, as we were preparing for the show, were basically talking about how it feels like it's been years since we've recorded a podcast. Richard is still having problems with his computer because he hasn't really used it since the last time we recorded. Yeah. It's been a while, folks. And apologies for that. Life has been absolutely insane. Uh, Work, personal, everything. Uh, but very, very glad to be back this week and very glad that someone wrote us some email by sending it to entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. So this is from friend of the show, John, and I think this is directly to you, Josh. He says he just finished listening to the last episode and he's a little bit behind because of a recent vacation. But here's a suggestion for repairing your faulty television. Instead of trying to swap circuit boards, and this is with regard to you swapping the circuit board from your friend's television where his screen is broken, why not try to swap the entire screen? You could take the television apart enough to do just that. Or he asks, can you take the television apart to do just that? It sounds pretty straightforward. Because I'm not hindered by knowledge in the area. (laughs) But it's an interesting idea, right? Because the the only thing wrong with his television, your friend's television, is that the screen is cracked. Your screen is fine. The only thing wrong with your television, as far as you know, is this board. And which is going to be easier? I have no idea. Do you? I have no idea either. Like the step one, I think, would be searching YouTube for a video on how to take these things apart. Right. Yeah, it's it's a really good idea that I hadn't considered. And if that ends up being way easier and less risky, then that might be a fantastic solution. But if I do that and keep in mind, my friend who's offering me his broken uh, TV listens to this podcast. Mm-hmm. If I do that, I'm actually fixing his TV. So will he want it back if I fix <laughs> his TV? <laughs> ah, very good question. See, I thought you were going to ask if you do that, would John consider helping you calibrate your television? But that might be a bit of a haul for him. And it's not worth calibrating my <laughs> television that's in the basement for, yeah. Fair I mean, enough. John would probably say that that's just not true. Like, it's worth calibrating every Every TV, television. In this case, maybe not so much. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, he goes on and he says, congratulations on your half marathon. And yes, congratulations, Josh. Thank you. That happened since the last time we recorded. You, you know what you need to do now. If you don't go after the full marathon, it will nag at you for the rest of your life. A good <laughs> suggestion would be the Disney Marathon. It's a flat course and broken up by each of the parks to make it interesting. Go for it. I, I have heard nothing but fantastic things about all of the races they run at Disney World. They do sound like an absolute blast. I do not have the time in my life to train for a full marathon (laughs) in the next day. So I've got kids at home for at least the next eight years. And so I've stopped saying that I will never train for for a full marathon, but I just can't see myself doing it as long as I have kids at home. There's just too much in my life that I would like. I would have to basically give up every other aspect of my life to to do to train for that. And still see my family. Which means yeah. this. It, it would mean this. Right. Right. So, it, it, I mean, maybe John just is done with entertainment. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I don't <laughs> think that's it. I will say, though, that if you do the Disney Marathon at any point in time, 
I'm going to have to come with you. You know that. Uh, you, you would have to come with me. You'd have to be like the, our guide for that whole trip. Because I am up for Disney. that. I am yeah. absolutely up for that. All right. Well, thank you, John, for the feedback. And once again, uh, feedback can be sent to us at entertainment 20 at com. So first big story of this episode, Netflix is shutting down their original business. And it just occurred to me that there might be people listening to this show that don't actually know what Netflix's original business was. I don't know if you know what Netflix's original business is, because it isn't just this. Oh. So the the story here is that Netflix's DVD rental business is finally going away. 25 years. This has been around for 25 years. Hard to imagine that. And you have until September 29th to finish that last rental or maybe get more rentals from your queue (laughs) that you're somehow still maintaining. I'll bet I still have a queue. Josh, do you think you have a queue? I've never had the disc plan. Oh, oh well. Actually, now that you think about it, I don't know that I do have the disc plan anymore. Yeah, I, I think you canceled it. I did. I think you did. I did. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. But if you still have the disc plan, and apparently not that many customers do, then you're gonna have to find some other way of getting discs. I guess maybe at Blockbuster. No, that doesn't work nope. either. Nope. So, there is one option. Yeah. Redbox. Oh, that's right. At your local grocery store. Yeah. And in fact, I saw another story that said the Redbox has made repeated attempts to acquire the disc portion of Netflix's business. And Netflix keeps telling them no. And they still have no intentions of selling any aspect of this business to Redbox. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like they want to keep it around just in case. Like, I I don't really know what's going on with that. Yeah, that's very interesting. But here we are, 25 years after the first rental. I didn't know what the first rental was. Did you know before you read this? No, (laughs) and I never would have guessed this. So the first disc rental was Beetlejuice on March 10th, 1998, which is crazy to think about. Do you know what the most borrowed disc was? No, I don't. The Blind Side. Wow. Wow. And that's a movie I own and still haven't watched. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen it either. (laughs) And I totally want to. But yeah, I would watch it. Have not yet. So here's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about. When Netflix originally opened, they were not only a rental business, but also a disc purchase business. You could mm. buy discs from from Netflix as well. And that's so long ago that barely anyone remembers that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there have been video game services that worked like this, where you could get game disc in the mail. And... I've subscribed to a couple of them, and they also had the ability to purchase games from them. So, like, it's a model that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, curious, if you get some disc, not you since you don't have the disc rental plan anymore, what happens if you don't return them in time? Are they going to, like, keep pestering you to return them, or are they just going to be like, meh? That is a really good question and not something that I researched, but now I'm really curious. Yeah. There there is we, we talked about alternatives to the service and and Redbox is the the most obvious alternative, but there's another alternative. It is completely free. Your local public library. Yep. Probably the best option. Although the selection probably isn't as good as Redbox would be. Probably not. All right. Well, let's stick with Netflix because the, well, but before they announced that they were shutting down their DVD business, the biggest Netflix news in months was when they recently rolled out 
their ad-supported plan in hopes that they would stop leading customers, and uh, especially once they uh, put in their password crackdown, password sharing crackdown. And so they rolled out a an ad-supported plan, and they're already making some changes to that plan, and they're actually making the plan better than the least expensive ad-free plan in some ways. So here are the changes. You will now be able to stream in 1080p, whereas previously it had a maximum of 720p. Yikes. Also, they're doubling the amount of simultaneous streams from one to two. (laughs) And the price doesn't change. It's still $6.99 a month for, for this plan. Nice. And, uh, oh, and they also changed the name. It's now called Standard with Ads. So uh, this sounds pretty great. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't really want to sign up for a 720p video streaming service. 1080p is totally watchable, though. Uh, e- even, even though I, you know, we, we, most of us have these glorious 4K TVs. 1080p streaming, still pretty good. And uh, I, I don't know. You, you can't shake a stick at that. That's... That's a pretty good deal for yeah, for the price. It, it totally is. But, you know, keep in mind also the audience for this. I suspect the audience, and maybe I'm way off base here, but I suspect the audience for this is people who are like, being really conservative with where they spend their money. Is it more likely that people who use this service have smaller televisions are potentially mm. not? going to be thinking 720 is terrible but now it's one it's 1080 so that's great but i i i think the way they rolled this out was right for the segment that they were trying to hit and i believe now they're trying to broaden the appeal of this option yeah for sure and and the the name change actually makes sense based on what they're doing here with the features because they really have four plans. They've got this standard with ads and then the ones that are ad free are just called basic, standard and premium. So the only actual difference between this ad supported one and the regular standard plan is that obviously other than the ads is that the regular standard plan does allow you to download shows and and movies to your mobile devices for offline playback. And that plan is 15.49 a month as opposed to the 6.99 a month. So if if you don't care that much about the downloads, you're getting a pretty hefty discount now for having the ads. Uh, you know, it's it's right. less than half the the cost of it. And it just has ads and you can't download. So I, that does seem a lot more enticing to people now. I have to admit, though, Josh, I mean, don't you think it's funny that we're now talking about the appeal of ad-supported television after all these years that we've been talking about methods for skipping ads and reasons for using DVDs and and DVRs? and streaming services that you pay for so you don't have to have ads. And now it's just a thing that, oh, yeah, you can pay less, and but you get ads. And people seem to be okay with it. Well, I, th- I think most people have been okay with ads forever. Uh, you know, most people weren't building home theater PCs to get away from ads like yep, we were. Fair enough. <laughs> so... Uh, maybe maybe it does make sense, but given the you know the the popularity of streaming services over the last decade, I know a lot of people now who if if they're given the option, they will pay more to not have to watch ads. Yep. Uh, I have a friend who refuses to watch any service that has ads. Like everyone I know keeps talking about a show called Jury Duty. It is only on Amazon's Freebie network which is an ad supported <laughs> network and so he says no i'm not gonna watch that show because i refuse to watch ads i kind of do want to see it though <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah 
I'm in kind of the same boat. All right, so we did a couple of Netflix stories. Let's do a couple of Google TV stories. The first is a, a small update that's rolling out to Google TV devices, the most popular of which is, of course, the Chromecast with Google TV, which Richard has and used to use pretty exclusively mm-hmm. uh, and and greatly enjoys. The, the first update is that they are updating both the hardware devices themselves, like the streaming devices, and the remotes that come with them to decrease wait times and in two specific areas. The one is they're they're doing some work to the devices themselves to make them turn on faster, to make it so that you can get to the home screen faster. The other one is to reduce latency between the remote control and the device itself so that as you're using the remote, things are happening faster. So that's just great across the board. Now, the other problem with uh, a lot of Google TV devices, maybe all of them, because I can't think of a truly premium Google TV device yet, is none of them really have that much storage. (laughs) A lot of Google TV, uh, Chromecast with Google TV customers have found, especially after having them for more than a year, uh, I'm running out of space on this thing. Yep. And so they're changing uh, an, an aspect to the operating system so that any apps that have not been used in 30 days will quote unquote hibernate. And the articles that I've read don't go into great details about what that actually means, but what it sounds like it means is they essentially uninstall the app from your device almost entirely but they just leave important data behind, like probably your login credentials. So like if you didn't use Netflix for a month, it would uninstall the app, which would probably uninstall like any cached videos and and things like that also. But then it would leave your, essentially your profile information on the device so that when you launch it again, my guess is it's going to take a few seconds for that first launch because it's going to re-download reinstall the app right but it'll act just like you had never done that before and that download and install process is usually pretty fast in my experience on the google tv so i think this is really smart this is not dissimilar from capabilities on ios devices where you have limited storage and a bunch of apps and they basically unload the apps that you don't use. They don't delete them, but they unload them. And then when you need them, they'll load them on demand again. Right. So I'll I'll be curious, how often are you using your Chromecast now? Whenever I go to our rental place, which has been um, unfortunately very frequent over the (laughs) last year as I continue to work on issues down there. So, yeah. And I hope I get to test this out soon because this is something that I think will make a big difference. And also being able to get that kind of response time back on using the remote is going to make a big difference too. One of the things that I noticed in the redesigned homepage experience on Google TV when I was down there last week was that now that you don't have to pass through the search capability as one of the top menu items that you're navigating between and you accidentally end up there all the time because it's on the far left, the overall feel of the homepage is a lot faster. Because that bringing up that search page was pretty slow, actually, because it had to load a whole bunch of, you know, pre-selected common searches that you've made and that other people have made and everything else. And so now that's kind of out of the way and over to the right, and you don't accidentally land there as much as you used to in the experience. That's cool. But I still want a more premium device. Well, yeah. And, um, oh, hey, Walmart. Oh, no, that's not going to be more premium. But (laughs) tell us about it anyway. Yes. So Walmart does have a new one uh, using 
They're on ONN branding uh, again for these devices. They've they've released one. I want to say it was a little over a year ago, and it was a pretty budget friendly device. Now they've rolled out a new version. This is also a budget friendly new and very simplistic Google TV device. It's very similar to the Chromecast in many ways. It has a slightly newer processor that might have slightly better performance than the Chromecast with Google TV. The specs, not really all that different. It it has two gigs of RAM and eight gigs of storage. Eight gigs of storage does not sound like a whole lot of storage to me when we're talking about video devices, and that's assuming that you're not planning to also install games on on something like this because games end up getting enormous. This device does not have Dolby Vision or Atmos. It does support HDR10, but not Dolby Vision. It has a great Bluetooth remote that looks basically just like the remote that comes with the Chromecast, except it's got a Paramount Plus button on it, uh, in addition to Netflix and YouTube and Disney Plus. And apparently, according to the review that we're going to link to over at 9to5Google, HDMI CEC also works really well. So based on their review, what they're saying, you know, obviously no Dolby Vision or Atmos. It's not, you know, a super premium device uh, in terms of hardware or capabilities. It, It kind of sounds like the perfect device for a secondary television in your house. Don't put this in your living room or, or in your massive home theater, but throw one of these in every bedroom or every other TV in your house, which you'll be able to do quite easily because they only cost $19.88. 88 cents. I feel like I'm back in the days of Kmart with 77 cents. I, I think this is a Walmart thing. Is it? I think, is I, that, I think that 88 cents is. is a Walmart thing? Yeah. I think like all of their prices end in eight. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> well, but, but it, this is actually a brilliant analysis of this, right? Because on a secondary TV, what a great way to get the same experience that you're used to everywhere else without having to pay the fifty dollars for the Chromecast with Google TV that is insufficient for what you're paying for it, and. You don't have to just kind of defer to a cheap Roku or a cheap Amazon Fire Stick to get content on that television. Right. Exactly. And you know the 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 remote is Bluetooth, and and if the the CEC controls end up being pretty good, then Bluetooth does not require line of sight. So you could mount the thing to the back of a TV, so it's completely out of sight and turn it on, it should theoretically turn your TV on and to the right input, and you've truly got a single remote control experience, even if it's an old TV that doesn't have uh, a a smart TV platform built in, or maybe it's old and does, and it's miserable, and you want (laughs) to replace it with something better. Yeah, and I don't know if the CEC control is something that's actually built into the Google TV platform that they make available or if they ended up doing this themselves for this device. But I find that the CEC on the Chromecast is rock solid. So it doesn't surprise me, even if it's not related, (laughs) that this is also really good CEC control. Yeah. You know, Google I.O. is happening this week. I have not paid attention to any of the news out of it yet. Wow. Maybe it didn't even start until tomorrow. But wow. wouldn't it be awesome if they announced a premium Chromecast? That would be amazing. I don't know that I'm going to take that bet. I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, things have been leaking around the tablet and the phones and all that sort of stuff. I haven't seen any leaks of a new Chromecast. Nope. But but it would be awesome if it did because this be one awesome. is now, is it a year and a half or is it two and a half years old? I think it's two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. It's time for something new, Google. Get yeah. on it. Sheesh. Yeah. Or maybe NVIDIA. Give us a new shield based on this technology. No, but I, want, I don't want that price point. Well, no, I, I don't want it to be quite that much. But, you know, if it's 75 bucks, 80 bucks, 
for a, a premium-ish, you know, Chromecast with Google TV thing, I'd be okay with that. Yep. Roku Ultra is a hundred bucks, right? Uh, Apple TV 4K is three hundred seventy. No, I'm just kidding. It's oh, like, ouch! Hundred fifty, <laughs> something like that. There's yeah, two versions. Like it's like one forty and one eighty or something like that. I don't remember yeah. what it is these days. Yeah, it would for sure be less than that. So, okay, so that's it for. Uh, our video news, uh, keeping it in the Google family on the audio side, YouTube music has officially launched their support for podcast within the YouTube music app. This is available in the U S at least on Android and iOS and the web. And I, I think the main thing that, that YouTube music really brings to podcast in that the other services don't is the fact that lots of podcast host video versions of their podcast. Hmm. Any podcast that we know of that do that? All right. Us uh, host, host a video version of their show on YouTube. And so the, the YouTube music experience allows you to seamlessly, and I mean, completely seamlessly switch between the audio or the video version of the show it doesn't pause. There's no like rebuffering or any of that. It just, I, I want audio. Now I'm actually looking at my phone. So let's switch to the video and it all works with background playback. And it doesn't even require you to be a YouTube music premium subscriber. If all you're doing is listening to podcasts through this app, you can do that right now, a hundred percent for free, like most podcasting apps. Now, if you're watching the video ones and stuff, you're still going to get YouTube style ads before them. And who knows, maybe during them too, probably. But all of the rest of the main features that you'd be looking for in a podcast app are here. You can subscribe to shows. You can customize your queue so that maybe you're listening to Entertainment 2.0 and next up you want to listen to Home On. You can change playback speed. It's basically got everything that you're looking for in terms of features where it's lacking is the content. I went and searched for uh, three or four or five podcasts that I regularly listen to. I found two of them. I didn't find two of them. So Hmm. I'm not sure what's up with that and what needs to be done to get more podcasts available on that platform. But it actually is a pretty nice experience. So this isn't one of those things where if you're in Google Podcasts that you'd automatically be listed in this YouTube music podcast category then? Because we're in Google Podcasts. Does that mean that we show up automatically or do we have to submit to be a part of this YouTube music podcast category? I was not able to find either of our podcasts. All right. In that's this app. very interesting. And the other thing that I was thinking, you know, you're talking about the seamless integration between audio and video. That's a lovely idea. But you know what that means to support that, Josh, is that the video would have to sync with the audio, which would mean that you would have to edit the video. And I wonder how many podcasts are really going to do that, because I think a lot of podcasters do what we do, which is to share the full recording of the podcast as a video and then have the edited podcast available through a podcast feed. Right. And and my guess is that the that whole, I think this is what you were alluding to, that whole seamless switching between audio and video is that it's probably just using the audio yep. from the video yep. for the audio version of the podcast. If there's a video version. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the case. Yep. So I definitely want to learn more about this and see if that's something we can take advantage of. But I guess I would ask you this question. Is this something you would use? Like, would you go to YouTube music to listen to your podcast? Does it offer the, all of the things that you want, like being able to manage your feed and create a like automatic 
playlist of certain types of shows and all that stuff? Is it going to have all the stuff that you want to listen to podcasts or is this more of an on-demand kind of thing? So that's, that's what I want to play with and find out. Um, because if it has the vast majority of podcasts that I listen to, then I will absolutely give this a try. Now, I, I don't do much in terms, in fact, I don't really do anything in terms of playlist generation. I still manually curate that as, as I'm listening to things. Like I want to see all of the things that I'm subscribing to and their most recent episodes. And then I want to say, play this one and this one and that one and that one in this order. That's a playlist. Well, but that's yeah, no but different than a music an, playlist, right? Right, but right. it's not an automatically right. created one. Right. Well, mostly. That's, I guess that's not entirely true because in Pocket Cast, there are some shows that I can say automatically put this as playing next. Yep. And there are some shows that I do that for. So Our show. I do that with our show. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I don't know if, if I can actually find enough of the shows that I want to listen to, then I will give this a try because video is nice to have. Uh, I, I don't think I would use it super often, but it would be nice to have occasionally. So I, I, I'll give it a try if I can find enough of the shows that I want to listen to. Okay. So let's move on to the gaming news. The biggest news in a while is really, really frustrating news. And that is that the Competition and Markets Authority, which the CMA, which is the UK's antitrust regulator. So think of like the FTC here in the US over in England. They're the ones that get to decide, no, you're being anti-competitive and things like that. They've been looking at the Microsoft acquisition, attempted acquisition of Activision Blizzard and decided, nope, we're going to block that. And it's not the most surprising thing. It's not, you know, the decision itself is not super surprising. Not out of character. Nope. I think it's kind of dumb. But the thing that's even dumber is the reason that they gave for why they're blocking it. They say that the acquisition of Activision Blizzard would give Microsoft too large of a portion of the game streaming economy. Not anything to do with uh, exclusive games on consoles. Nothing specific, really, about Call of Duty. Nope, it's that if they have Activision Blizzard, then they will likely make it so that the only place where you can stream Activision Blizzard games is through Microsoft's game streaming service. Despite all of the responses to the legal requests about, or the 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 concerns about this where they have said, yeah, no, we guarantee we will make this available through these other services. Like this is the same old argument that EA was making. Yeah. Yeah. Except that they don't even just have promises to go on. Microsoft has already signed multiple actual legal agreements with other streaming game service providers right to grant them access to their library for 10 years and some of the like anti-microsoft fanboy zealots out there are going to be like yeah but it's a bunch of services you've never heard of that's not entirely true some of them are services that you haven't heard of if you're in the u.s because they are european focus services but also nvidia geforce now is one of the companies that they made a 10-year agreement with so Oh, wait, where is the UK CMA actually getting this justification? Kind of nowhere. It's a, it's, it's total garbage. Also, Sony, (laughs) ever heard of Sony? (laughs) Right. I mean, I, I don't know. They, they're kind of a big one. Yeah. The, the other thing that's just fascinating about this, and this is hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around, is that the, European organization organization that basically does what the FTC does has said, yeah, um, you, you American company that wants to buy that American company, we over here in the UK say you can't do that. Right. Like how, 
How weird is that? And the reason, of course, is because they both do business in the UK, in Europe, but to have a European organization tell two US companies that know this merger can't go through just seems bonkers, even though it's legit. Right. Yeah, it it, it definitely happens, but it, it feels crazy. And it, you, you've used the word European in there a couple of times. And it's important to point out that this is only the UK regulators here. Right, right. There is a separate regulator for the European Union. Oh, and, right. Because Brexit. Forgot about right, that. Exactly. Exactly. And the, uh, the, the European Union regulators, it sounds like they're going to approve the deal. Brazil has approved the deal. Like the only country that should really be thinking we shouldn't approve this is Japan, home of Sony. Like everybody else should be like, yeah, it's fine. Right. <laughs> Although there are other countries who are also uh, haven't made, I don't think, an official decision, but right. are leaning toward not approving it. But I, I do wonder how many were leaning towards no prior to the UK saying no. Fair point. Do do we think that that many of those were thinking, eh, we're going to go out on a limb and be the only ones who say no? Uh, because if they are the only ones who say no, then Microsoft and Activision Blizzard just say, okay, okay. fine, we won't do business in right, the country right. anymore. <laughs> exactly. And if you're a small country, they can easily do that. Now, in the UK, uh, does Microsoft and, and Activision Blizzard really want to pull out, pull out of the business there? No. And I've heard some you know, games, media companies saying, well, then maybe Microsoft should just say, we're not going to sell you licenses for Windows anymore. And like, that's ridiculous. That's like, not going to happen. No. That's not ever <laughs> going to happen. No, never. So, of course, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard are going to appeal this. So all this really means is many, many, many more months of us waiting to find out what is going to happen here. I'm so excited this gets dragged out in the news even longer now, Josh. <laughs> I'm sure that you are. Okay, so let, let's step away from that, hopefully for a while, and do just one super quick update on news that is not surprising at all. Microsoft officially announced details for the Xbox Games Showcase. This is their big press conference that happens usually the night before E3 opens. But since there's not going to be an E3 this year, it's just a Sunday night in June, I guess. So Sunday, June 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern will be the Xbox game showcase. And then immediately after that, they're doing a separate event that is a Starfield Direct. So it is just a show entirely focused on the game, the the Bethesda game Starfield that is set to come out on September 6th after it's been delayed a couple of times. So expect all of the usual Xbox E3 type stuff at this event. It'll be streaming everywhere. Uh, and, and of course, um, you know, lots of, of huge game announcements and very curious to see what's coming with Starfield and hopefully some release dates for things like Forza Motorsport. So, uh, and what I would really, really like to see is a release date for uh, Senua. Now I don't remember the name of the, the, the sequel to the last Sen. Uh, God, I can't even remember the name of that one, but the, the Senua games uh, that was first previewed in December of 2021, I believe. So we've been waiting forever for that one. And I really want to play that next game, even though I can't remember the name of it. So, <sighs> all right. So that's it for our gaming news. Richard can wake up because Richard is going to fill us in on what has been going on in his entertainment center. I am. And I mentioned that I was down at our rental place recently. And so one of the things that I did while I was down there was take an inventory of the cable service that we're paying for because it went up, of course, because that's what cable service does. It goes up 
And I wondered, why did it go up so much? So I started looking into a couple things. And one of the things that we were paying for with Spectrum, I'm a Spectrum stockholder, by the way. It must seem like I'm just like into every tech stock that exists. I don't know. But I had a $1 increase in the rental fee that I was paying for each television cable box. And we have a bunch throughout the house. That $1 increase was a $1 secure connection, capital S, capital C, fee. I what am the crap is a secure connection fee? Paying, right. I am paying this company to provide a secure connection, capital S, capital C, <laughs> to their cable box. Um, what? Through an HDMI cable? <laughs> like through a through an a a, a, a coax cable. This is the cable box. <sighs> insane. In friggin' insane. But you know, cable companies are gonna fee you. They're gonna get you with every little fee that they can, and this is a good example. Couldn't believe it. I also realized that we were paying for the last two years, unfortunately, for Wi-Fi service that we don't use. Because apparently when Spectrum delivered all the equipment, they also delivered a Wi-Fi thing, access point, that was completely insufficient for the size of this house. But the installers who put it all together put in their own third-party Wi-Fi access points. And that thing was just sitting there, not doing anything. And I was paying like $6 a month for that, too. <laughs> so, yeah. So we saved a little bit off our bill after we got rid of that. But seriously, a $1 secure for us to ensure that our device is secure, you're going to pay a dollar more and feel good about it. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Also, while down at that house, I realized that, hey, I use Google TV down here. Maybe I have the updated guide that we had talked about last time that I hadn't yet seen. And in fact, it did. It had an update waiting. I ran the update and I got the updated Google TV live guide. And I have to say, it's good. They did a good job. Now, one of the questions you may remember, Josh, that I asked was would they allow me to say, all right, well, I don't want the Pluto TV stuff, or I don't want the channels that are coming from YouTube TV. I just want my, I, I want my free channels. I don't want the, you know, I, I want the ones that I decide that I want, not all thousand some of them that they were giving me from Plex and that news service that we'd never heard of before and everyone else. You can't do that. Yeah. But, and you predicted that. You called that one right. But what they've done is they've allowed you to very quickly jump to specific types of channels. And so that actually makes the guide a whole lot more usable, regardless of who the content's coming from. If you care about like unscripted reality TV stuff, you can go to that. If you care about home stuff, you can go to that very easily. If you like travel, you can go to... So they've categorized all of the content in a way that lets you get to all the different channels that provide that content very quickly. And I like that. Yeah, that's good. That, that's yeah. better. Yeah, it is better. Overall, I think it is a better guide experience. So that's a good thing. All right. Well, let's talk about what I've been watching. I have been continuing to watch Penny Dreadful. We are about halfway through season three now. Of course, we watched last week tonight with John Oliver. When that comes out, it's been a long time since we've talked, and the Picard finale has occurred. This is the series finale for Picard. Remember season two? I didn't like it. Season three, amazing. It followed through. It totally, totally followed through. If you gave up on Picard 
or you weren't interested in Picard because you heard bad things about it, but you were a next generation fan, then just jump to season three. You can absolutely jump to season three, watch a YouTube video on how we got to season three. You'll have everything you need to know and you will thoroughly enjoy season three of the Picard series. It is very, very good. And of course, the Ready Room episodes of that with Will Wheaton have been great this season. Also watch the season two finale for Abbott Elementary. I am not quite caught up on Ted Lasso. I have one episode to watch that I haven't seen yet, so I'm hoping to do that tonight. I have watched a bunch of the Book of Boba Fett. I hadn't started this when we last talked about what we're watching, but this is one of the Star Wars series that I had not yet watched through, and I'm about halfway through that. It's a quick one. It's only seven episodes. Of course, this last weekend, I say of course, probably not everybody cared about this, but we did watch a bunch of stuff about the coronation of King Charles. That was this past Saturday. And while I did not get up at four in the morning to start watching that, we did find an official version of the coronation in, that had absolutely no commentary whatsoever on YouTube. And it's awesome. It's so much better to watch it without all the BS of everybody on the news programs trying to fill space while nothing's happening. You just get to watch it play out, which is so, so much better. I mentioned that I was listening to the picture of Dorian Gray. I'm about three quarters of the way through that book now. And then finally, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos these days, Josh. I've been watching a bunch of tutorials on laser engraving. Laser I engraving. Bought myself a toy. <laughs> so what are, what are you doing with this laser engraver? I'm going to engrave things. Like what? On stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> can can you like engrave on metal? Like Yes. Whoa. I can engrave on metal. I can engrave on acrylic. I can engrave on wood or cork or a variety of different products. I bought a diode laser engraver from Xtool. It's a product from a Chinese company that's been getting a lot of visibility just because they've done a very good job of kind of popularizing this product. They're they're basically the cricket if you will, of laser cutters and laser engravers. So I've been uh, playing with that a little bit. I haven't had as much time as I want to to actually use it. But while I've had spare time before going to bed, I've been trying to watch a bunch of tutorials on different things that I can do with it. And I'm very excited about this. I think this is going to be pretty cool. That does sound cool. Are, are yeah. there any consumables with that? consumables so like, like if you have a 3d printer then yeah. you have to buy the filament to print something but with a yeah. laser engraver like the machine itself it's just using electricity to fire up a laser to cut into whatever it is that you stuck inside of it right yeah yeah good point good question actually so after a period of time the lenses kind of tend to get cloudy from a lot of use. So you do periodically need to replace lenses. The model that I purchased also includes a cutter, like a physical blade cutter, similar to a Cricut device. So the blades on that are certainly consumable. They need to be replaced pretty often. But otherwise, you're looking at I don't know, however many thousands of hours they say the laser gets you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking to have some fun with this. I don't I didn't have a specific need for it, a specific reason for it, but I've wanted to get one for 
a long time. And uh, hey, turns out that YouTube is really good at helping you learn how to use stuff. Really? I might have to check the you YouTube, like the letter U? Yeah. Tube? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Zuck should have called the company YouTube because that would have been more successful than the metaverse. <laughs> But that's not a topic for our show. No, no. Josh, what have you been up to in your entertainment center? So not actually a lot of video gaming. Um, Like I said, life has been pretty crazy around this house, and it's really thrown uh, a big wrench in my typical routines. So not a ton of gaming, you know, a little bit of NHL and stuff like that. Um, I think I'm done with Valheim. I mentioned that before. It turns out that eventually I do just get sick of survival games, even if there are some cool aspects to it. So I think I'm done with Valheim and I'm probably just done with survival games for who knows another 10 years until maybe I try another one again. I hope the last of us doesn't qualify as that. No, the last of us does not qualify as that, but I still haven't played in a while. And the big, (laughs) this is so dumb. The, the big problem with the last of us is Jen does not want to hear that game. Right. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. The headset that I use for playing Xbox is a Xbox wireless headset. It only works with Xbox. So to play through my PlayStation through headphones, I need to plug headphones, wired headphones into my PlayStation four controller. Doesn't sound like a major problem, except that I own one pair of wired headphones. One. They're the ones that I'm using to record this podcast with. So they sit on my desk upstairs. My PlayStation is downstairs in the living room. It's hard to go upstairs. I don't want to go upstairs. I want to grab the (laughs) controller that is sitting on my couch and the remote that is sitting on my couch and just play the game. And it is a super lazy thing. But it has kept me from playing The Last of Us a lot to the point where I've thought, well, I know what the answer is. And it's not walk upstairs and get the headphones. It's not walk upstairs. It's buy another set. (laughs) It's buy another pair of headphones, (laughs) which is so dumb. So dumb. (sighs) Because I I basically have have to get up off my couch anyway, because the PS4 controller gets put away because it doesn't get used nearly as often as the Xbox controllers, even if it's not just by me, because like my daughter and her friends play the Xbox. So it's usually just out. And I have a, I have, I have an yeah. idea. Leave the Xbox or the PlayStation controller on the couch too. No. <laughs> when you finish podcasting, take the headphones downstairs because how often are you podcasting comparing to how often you're playing? That is a much smarter idea. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So uh, I I do have one other quick gaming thing. Uh, We mentioned, well, I don't know, like a year and a half ago, I think uh, Xbox released an update that it introduced a new power profile setting where instead of just putting your Xbox to sleep, you could put it in an ultra low power mode. It used almost no power. And the only real downside was that it took longer for it to boot up. And so I tried it out when that first came out and I had a lot of issues with like games launching uh, and it through quick resume and things like that. And it just turned into a hassle. And so I stopped doing it since then, uh, maybe two months ago, they released an updated version of that and it still uses practically no energy, but They've said that it's smarter about being able to turn on for doing automatic game updates and things like that, because the last thing you want to have happen is it's 8.30 p.m. and you're finally sitting down to play a video game and, oh, no, there's a 30 gig update for your game. So this I've been trying out this new mode, which they do call shutdown in, in the power options, and that uses almost no energy when the thing isn't on. And I have had excellent results. I've had no problems at all with it. My games are getting updated, at least the games that I'm playing regularly. I think this is a lesser known thing about the Xbox. If you see that a lot of your games are not getting updated automatically for you, it's because it recognizes that you're not playing them. So if maybe you have an internet data cap, so it doesn't 
download the updates for games automatically if you're not playing them very regularly. All of the games that I play regularly, they get updated automatically. I've never had to wait for an NHL update (laughs) ever. Um, And I've had zero problems with quick resume. So if you have an Xbox Series X, Series S, go in and try this power mode option out because it's there's really no reason not to. It uses less energy. It uses less electricity, which costs you less money. You're saving yourself money by trying this. If you have issues, fine, put it back into the sleep mode thing. But you should definitely try this out. Like it's maybe, maybe 10 seconds from the time I turn the Xbox on to the time that I'm able to do something. So it's not like you have to wait very long to play. And if your TV has to switch inputs and turn on and warm up and all that sort of crap anyway, the Xbox is probably going to be ready at about the same time as your television. So try this mode out for the sake of your wallet because of the electricity bill and for the sake of the earth to consume a little less fossil fuel burning electricity. I I will say one thing about this, that I, I suspect that this may be the cause for some CEC automatic input selection problems that I've been having again down at the rental property. Mm. So historically, I used to be able to get pretty good reliability on it switching to the input when it detected video from the Xbox. So I'm actually using my receiver to detect that there's something going on. This isn't like, you know, X relying on Xbox doing CEC right, because I don't even know if it does still yet. But in the last month or two, we've had problems where you turn the Xbox on and it never actually detects and switches over to the video and I have to do it manually. And I don't know if it's related to this update or if it's, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, this has been a problem for the last couple months and it's interesting timing. Yeah, that is. Although I'm not sure if this option was enabled by default, but when you're down there next, definitely check it out and see if it is. Cool. Well, like I said, a lot of uh, things have shifted lately in my house. And one of the benefits to that, at least for all of you, is that it has meant that I've been watching more TV. So we are now completely caught up on Ted Lasso season season three. Wow. And really over like I, I I'm not on social media much, so I don't know what the the larger world has been saying about season three of Ted Lasso. I've thought it's been not really all that great. The last couple of episodes have been a lot better, but this is still, in my opinion, by far the weakest season of Ted Lasso by a long shot. Um, So that's been a little bit disappointing, but like I said, it's getting better. And even a weak season of Ted Lasso is still better than pretty good. much most other shows out there. So right. <laughs> that's right. okay. I, I don't know what your thought on it is, but for me, the fact that nearly every episode is an hour long is is a like that's a negative. Mm. When this show started, it was a half hour episode, and then they started playing with forty minute episodes. And last season, they started playing with forty five to fifty minute episodes, and now they're playing with hour long episodes. And I don't like that. I I liked that. The story moved quickly before, and now they're lingering too much, in my opinion. Hmm. Maybe that is what it is. I generally don't mind the idea that the episodes are longer because I want more Ted Lasso in my life. And if <laughs> if having longer episodes gets me that, then I'm pretty cool with that, actually. But Right, but it changes the style of the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. You may be right there. It's an interesting take. Uh, We've also been checking out some other shows. Uh, Silo launched on Apple TV Plus last week, and 
The silo might not be super well known to a lot of people, but my wife and I knew it because we read the books back 10 years ago or uh, yeah, I think it was roughly 2013 that we read these books. And this was me actually reading. It was ebooks, not, not even audiobooks, <laughs> like actually reading. That's how good these books were. I loved them. And so we were super excited for Silo to launch on Apple TV+. Plus. Two episodes launched on Friday. We watched them both, enjoyed them a lot. They do, like, if you've read the Silo series, they do take things a little out of order here. There's, and and I haven't read them since 2013, so there's a lot of things I don't remember. But when they announced this a few months ago, Jen went and reread all three books. And what she's saying is there's a big chunk of of the second book that they've kind of skipped over, which is kind of weird. Um, but the show has been really good. Richard, have you watched Silo yet? No, I haven't. And this is absolutely on my list to watch, even though I have no idea what the books were about. <laughs> well, go and check it out. It's it's some pretty good stuff so far. And then we also started, we've had a lot of people tell us, watch White Lotus. And just uh, with that, without really a lot of like... um reasons they're just like you need to watch the show and i think we've watched three episodes now and i think that's gonna be it uh <laughs> like this show have you you watched it right yeah so i did i really enjoyed it i think my feeling in the middle of season one was that it was kind of weird and preachy like i did not like how preachy it was. It was very clear that it was trying to make a point about financial and racial barriers and differences between groups of people. And I'm just trying to watch something to relax at the end of the night, you know? <laughs> and well, so I didn't really like that, but my yeah. primary reason for watching it was uh, Jennifer I forget her last name. The the she plays the ditzy character, the the ultra wealthy woman who is traveling alone, right? And love her as an actress. I like most of the stuff she's been in. I think her role in these is wonderful, and that alone made me want to stick with it. Yeah, I I I don't think that's enough to make me want to stick with it. Um, <laughs> It's just, I mean, you're you're right about the the preachiness of it. It's basically, hey, look at all these rich people and how much they suck. Uh, okay, you, yep. you're right. Um, is there anybody that I actually want to root for in this show? No, not really. Like maybe Rachel, the uh, that that's the young couple that just got married, the the wife. But even her, like probably not. Um, and, and you know, the hook is like, okay, you know someone dies. Who dies and how and why? And there's only one character that you know that it isn't. Uh, and, like, I don't know. It, I, I, I kind of don't care if any of these people die. <laughs> like they, like, that's probably a terrible way of saying that. But, but, but don't you think that that's part of the conceit of the show? For is sure. Is that as you're watching it, you figure, well, they all deserve to die. <laughs> I mean that's a terrible thing to right. think, right? Like but, none of them actually I mean, deserve. There that, is <laughs> there is cause for all of them potentially to be the victim of some malfeasance. Right, right, and and maybe that ends up being really interesting, but there's just not enough there for me to actually want to sit through any more episodes of this. So I don't think we're going to. Fair uh, enough, because Jen felt the same way. We also tried, and I, I may be wrong about the name of it. Is it just called Shrinking or yep. The Shrinking? Or? It's called Shrinking. Okay. This is another one that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Also came highly recommended. Um, Jen watched the first episode. We watched the second episode together. She's like, I can, she's like, we can rewatch episode one if you want, or I can fill you in in like a minute. And I said, just fill me in and, and we'll move forward. And so I think I've only seen episode two, but I really enjoyed it. It was a, it's a, it's an interesting show. I have not watched this yet. I do want to watch this. I like 
both of the lead characters on this, Jason Siegel and, uh, oh my God, why am I going blank? Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Thank you. Whew, wow. And yeah, I've heard great things, nothing but great things that it's fun and enjoyable and not what you would expect from really either of them. So keep me apprised of this. Yeah, for sure. There, there, there'll definitely be more of us watching that in the future. All right. That's it for what I've been watching. Uh, I did start, uh, another book. Well, I think I had finished Ender's game by the time we recorded the last podcast. Maybe not, but I, I finished Ender's game. Really, really liked that book. Really liked it. Um, and then went and, you know, looked at the whole series. There is like a half, there's, there's a book in my library app, it calls it like book 1.1 or 1.5 that I'm trying to look up quickly on my phone. That's basically like, it's just a a short story. Um, Yeah, it was called A War of Gifts. It was only a two-hour audio book. It's just a side story that takes place during uh, Ender's Game as a book. It was fine. Um, I'm now reading the second book in the series, which is called Speaker for the Dead. I am how far into this am I? Maybe a quarter of the way? Oh no, I'm a third of the way into this book. Uh, five hours in, nine hours to go. It's okay. Um, wow. I I can kind of see where they're where they're going, and and that maybe they wanted me to focus on some a a very particular aspect of the original Ender's Game story as being more important than the aspects that just in general that I liked about it. I don't want to give any spoilers away. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to finish the book and see how it goes. Um, but the, the thing that I found interesting is book two had a wait, you know, that I had to wait behind like five people to get this book there, five people in line behind me to read it. Once I'm done, there is no wait list on book three. And that kind of tells me that maybe a lot of people read book two and are like, all right, I guess I'm done with this series. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the fact that there's a wait, it makes you wonder, all right, is that because there's so many people that want it? Or is that because it's such a slog and it takes everybody longer? <laughs> maybe, maybe. So I will hopefully have that finished by the time we record the next podcast, which will hopefully be in a week because <laughs> we're done with uh, what's going on in our entertainment centers, which means we're done with the show. If you want to get a hold of us, we're on social media. Uh, Richard is uh, on Mastodon at Richard Gunther. I'm also on Mastodon, Josh Pollard. I'm still on Twitter at Josh Pollard. Uh, so is the website and it's over on Instagram. <clears throat> also at Digimedia Zone and uh, all of our show notes for all of the stories that we talked about are over at our website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. And assuming that we can get all of our technical issues and all of that stuff figured out in the next week, uh, we'll be doing the show live next week, uh, probably Tuesday, maybe Wednesday around 8.30 PM Eastern right there over at the same site or on our Twitch feed. But That is going to do it for episode 619. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Bye.